Welcome to Five Star Weekly. Greg DeBoer is out. We have a new interim head coach and transfer rumors galore. Let's talk about all of it. Welcome to the show, Five Star Fam. I'm AJ and this is Tanner and Mark. And wherever it is you get your pods, subscribe, share, and leave us a good rating. This segment is sponsored by Thinking Man Tavern, a cozy Decatur neighborhood pub. Grab a tasty beverage from a wide variety of selections and a plate of something delicious from the menu. To go, check out Thinking Man Tavern. Follow our Twitch for new streams and surprises on Tuesdays and Thursdays starting at 9 p.m. on twitch.tv slash ATLUTD Fan TV. So Frank DeBoer has mutually parted ways with Atlanta United and we have a video on that that we recorded last Friday giving our initial reactions. But uh, yeah, it's definitely changing times for the five stripes. But uh, yeah, this week, the latest is that uh, Stephen Glass, the Atlanta United 2 head coach, has now been named as the interim head coach for Atlanta United with Tony Annan, the academy director, now serving as the interim LA United 2 head coach. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, not really that surprising when uh, I think we mentioned it uh, not only on the Twitch stream, but uh, I believe in the Frank DeBoer video as well as the possibility of someone who could be the interim. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, he was also spotted uh, not at his bench post uh, in the dugout for the Atlanta United 2 match uh, on Saturday. And so very interesting that, uh, you know, it was kind of obvious maybe that they were going to go uh, try to promote uh, an interim coach from within. Uh, it's why you have this whole club set up. You have guys that have experience with what has been going on. And he brings that little bit of continuity that uh, Frank DeBoer was teaching uh, in terms of like what type of style uh, and whatnot. So there is at least that for the players where it's not an insanely uh, just drastic change for them. But, you know, obviously I think uh, Glass has his own ideas. But, uh, yeah, Stephen Glass, a uh, Aberdeen FC uh, former player, a Newcastle United former player, a winger, a guy that, uh, you know, we've seen uh, in some of the LA United uh, kind of highlights that they put out as well. Uh, a guy that's, you know, took their free kicks, took, uh, you know, for Newcastle and, uh, you know, was a guy that, uh, you know, was attacking, I think. Uh, and so that's, that's good to, uh, to see, I think, from, you know, a change from Frank DeBoer. But, uh, you know, what he said in terms of uh, when he came in, he said, uh, he said, I'm honored to take over as an interim head coach for Atlanta United. Uh, I'm committed to continuing the hard work the team has done to establish itself as a top club in MLS and to meeting the high standard expected of us both on and off the field. I look forward to quickly establishing a structure of rapport with the players as we prepare to return to play in our home market. I think, yeah, it's pretty boilerplate for most of what he said, but I like that he's saying building the rapport with the players, which seems like something that was a little bit of contention uh, we'll get to what that exactly was in a bit. But, uh, yeah, Stephen Glass, interim head coach. What do you guys think? Tanner. 
I mean, it's probably the easiest, most natural thing to do as far as a interim goes right now. I mean, COVID kind of changes the whole game for that. Seems kind of a write-off, if we're being perfectly honest. Um, I mean, his record with Atlanta United 2 is not great, but I don't know if you really want to hold that against him. And I think really kind of reached the point where anything was better than DeBoer, especially as far as the locker room is concerned. So as long as he, you know, it seems to be a bit more detailed in his approach and has an emphasis on the attacking side as opposed to the defensive control side, then I think the players will at least be happy. And to be honest, the players are happier. I think they can play better than what we saw at the MLS's back tournament. So, I mean, I wouldn't expect great things from this team this year, but I think we'll see better than what we have had so far at least. Right, and it seems like yeah, the interim hiring an interim coach, uh, you know, this uh, hiring this Scottish coach who's nine, eight, and seventeen uh, with only United two. I think he yeah, basically did not have a ton of uh, other experience. Um, you know, it still is definitely. I think you know, it's keeping in mind that the continuity is there. We're not maybe looking to keep him as our uh, you know permanent head coach unless he really you know, just knocks it out of the park, but it is someone that has potential. He has been fairly uh, lauded, I think, uh, around the organization as someone that, uh, you know, the players at Lee United 2 have loved uh, to work with. So, yeah, Mark, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think logistically it makes sense, of course. You know, at the end of the day, they do have training sessions that, you know, need to be run. Um, I think also the familiarity with the players helps a lot, you know, like it's a, it's a time of adversity for sure. And then like outside of the things happening on the football pitch, it's a weird time. And so I think uh, it's not necessarily a bad move to just uh, bring in someone that everyone's familiar with and everyone's good with. And like, you know, they can work to improve, I think, uh, simplify things a little bit, probably in the training pitch and uh, start to, uh, you know, like, like they talked about, just uh, repair the poor with the players and so um yeah i think it just it's something that makes sense in the short term and then you know whether or not there are games and how many of those games will manage we'll see but it also probably just buys the front office a little more time in this coaching search right and so in terms of what type of head coach he would be i think it's difficult to say when he was pretty much trying to emulate what frank DeBoer was doing with the first team so that it was an easy transition for the lane united two players if and when they get called up. And so there is, uh, you know, he was playing 3-4-3 at Atlanta United 2. He was definitely making sure that the, uh, you know, kids were getting time, the academy kids and, uh, you know, the young prospects kind of coming into uh, more playing time. So it's, you know, you get also uh, on match days, you don't know what type of roster you have. You don't know if, uh, you know, you have the same players at your disposal every single week so it is difficult to just look at the record of Elena too and say if he's a good coach or not because yeah he's you know been handed a developmental squad the onus is not on the you know wins and losses and so it's one of those things where uh, you know him being an attacker hopefully there is a little bit more of an onus to get on the front foot but, uh, you know, I think he will really, I think, be able to stake his claim in what type of, uh, you know, style that he actually does want to play because now it's kind of his ship to run. So he can, uh, you know, have the ability to, to be able to, to do that. But, uh, you know, as well, though, he is uh, to speak on, you know, what his age is. He's 44. And I think it's a, you know, there are some that are much younger than he is, but uh, I think he's in that kind of ripe 
age of he's getting experience if he does well with this it could possibly you know springboard him to something else as well so uh you know he's gonna be motivated for sure to do absolutely the best that he can um now uh, when Darren Eels uh, made that announcement, uh, or the, the team made the announcement, but uh, he spoke with, uh, you know, the uh, the AJC about why he made the decision to part ways with Frank DeBoer and why Frank DeBoer also mutually decided to leave as well. Yeah, he said that we want to be a top club and play in a way that's exciting, dynamic, and winning trophies. Uh, which I think many people can look into maybe the uh, the dynamic part of that exciting maybe as well as maybe a reason why that uh, you know it maybe wasn't really quite matching the ethos when they brought him in. Uh, he also said, uh, you know, we'll take we'll take our time in finding someone that can take this club forward. We want to be successful. We want to win matches, but we have an expectation of being on the front foot and being aggressive with playing. And I think, yeah, we, we saw a departure in that with uh, the MLS's back tournament for sure. Uh, you know, definitely early on in the 2019 season, that was the case as well. But, uh, you know, it, it seems like, you know, there was uh, maybe not matching of the, uh, the ethos that really, I think, you know, kind of led to part of the reasons why. Um, but there was an athletic article that uh, was uh, pretty telling for sure as well uh, with some of the players definitely mentioning, um, you know, some things possibly. But I think largely uh, it had to do a lot with the training ground walk-offs uh, with Joseph Martinez, according to sources uh, that the athletic had uh, with PT Martinez as well walking off on the, the training grounds. Um, yeah, you have, you know, of course, LGP being very public about not, this is not the style that we want to play. Uh, last year at the All Star game, Joseph Martinez being very public as like this is just not what we want. We want to, uh, you know, play aggressively. And, um, you know, with all of that. It seems like, you know, at least from the player side of it, and maybe, um, you know, from the training grounds, uh, seemed like that was the the kind of, you know, one of the catalysts that, you know, it was just untenable from a player and coach situation, too much tension. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, it looked like the players at the MLS's back tournament maybe gave up on the coach. And, uh, you know, it probably led to... The, uh, the decision, but what we're missing here is maybe the, you know, Fractor Boar side, the technical staff side of what actually happened, but, I mean, I think very telling article nonetheless from The Athletic. What do you guys think of all that's transpired so far? Tanner. I mean, it's not really shocking, is it? Because it just felt like they never really meshed in terms of the way that they wanted to play the game. I felt that there was kind of just a friction from the get go with Frank DeVore. And you kind of heard that last season as well at certain points in time, but they just didn't really get along. And I think, you know, he really put all the players off and they say that sometimes, you know, your first training session is the most important when you are hired as a new manager. 
And it sounds like from the off last year, you know, they immediately went to the defensive side of the game and they're like, but we attack and we win and that's how we play things. And I think that put the players off from a very early point in time. And then when you hear that these issues have been happening, you know, Joseph last year, I think that was pretty evident in the Seattle game, how annoyed he was with the coaching staff. Um, and then you have the same thing with PT, who has yet to really look like a high quality player um, consistently under DeBoer. You know, I totally understand that as well because I feel like he probably thinks he's being grossly misused or was being grossly misused by, by the coaching staff. So it's been interesting, and I'm curious to see, you know, what else if more stuff comes out. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, I think this is like part of the process of like relitigating, uh, you know, what happened when the coach especially when the coach gets the sack a little bit early. Um, and so I think Our what we learned is that ways. things that, oh yeah, mutually part of ways officially. Um, but, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's I mean, the I, thing. I we'll, think, we'll get into I, that if it actually was, but yeah, go on. I do think there's still somewhat mutual. I think like there was a part of Frank DeBoer who was like, okay, like this obviously isn't working, but anyway, um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. I think what we, we learned really is that these things, uh, when we look back in retrospect, really bubbled to the surface, you know? And so like these things that came off, they really weren't one-offs. They were just, uh, things that were bubbling over time. And so like, it, it does kind of make sense. Um, you know, obviously we didn't hear about the training walk-offs at the time for good reason, but you know, like the UB reference to Joseph getting annoyed in Seattle. I thought that was a, a huge moment. He, he scored the game to tie the game and did not celebrate at all. You know, like, uh, so yeah, it's just, uh, like I said, it's and didn't just, he like, swear at the coaching staff on the sideline as well? Yeah. When they were celebrating, right. Exactly. I mean, like, I think there's just so many different things that you can point to and be like, yep, something was off. We knew, it. you know, like they tried to, they tried to hide it. They tried to act like it was all good, but really and truly like we always knew. Yeah, but, and, and, you know, uh, to play some devil's advocate here as well, um, you know, some of the players maybe uh, could have behaved a little bit better, maybe could have been uh, a little bit more welcoming to Frank DeBoer in a sense where, uh, you know, if you, you know, if you're always so abrasive to a, just a new idea, to a new coach, uh, then it won't really bode well for the club as a whole. So everybody needs to buy in. Um, but obviously, you know, with coming in and, you know, having the defensive tactics, uh, as pretty much the first things in the first two weeks, apparently it's obviously, uh, pretty divisive for, you know, a team just coming off of a championship. And so they're thinking, you know, we have a way of playing. We want to be able to, you know, play the way we normally do. Why? Let's improve know? on what we're already good at. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah the evolution yeah. instead of the revolution. Revolution, which was saying. bollocks. But uh, it, it also does, you know, we did have issues in defending. Uh, and that's yeah. why we went into, you know, a three man back line, uh, a three, five, two in the 2018 playoffs because yeah we were a little fragile and that's why tata martino had to change it around uh yeah mark you uh i think you know i think pretty famously on this channel anyway said that uh i hope that it was uh a you know a red herring that's you know that toronto fc match uh on decision day because those tactics the way we we looked i mean we we were dropped and uh, we looked completely different in the 2018 playoffs, and that's kind of no no uh, no short in part to uh, the change in tactics that uh, you know definitely solidified our defense. 
So right. I think uh, Fractal Board definitely did notice that, notice that we needed to, um, you know, bring that into our game, but maybe it was too, uh, maybe it was too abrasive. Maybe it was too drastic and uh, it just didn't sit well with the players, but and yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, I don't think most people would question Frank DeBoer's tactics. I mean, like, I think there are definitely certain games where you're like, this setup was wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I don't like how we set up here or there. But generally speaking, I think that everyone would agree that Frank DeBoer is generally a smart guy, generally understands the game well. But I think what was really lacking, at least what we from what we've learned, is probably the man management side of it. And even in the MLS's back tournament, we t I talked about specific players I thought he mishandled completely, like Rometty, like John a bit. Uh, you know, I didn't really like what he was. I didn't think he put PD and Barco in a position to really succeed. I just, you know, it's, I, th I don't think that was ever really and truly right. Other than when he conceded a bit and listened to the players in the middle of last summer. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I would also like, raise, yeah, I, Edgar Castillo is one of those very head-scratching decisions. Oh, gosh, um, yeah. Which, I mean, like, he was pissed when he came off. Yeah, definitely isn't <laughs> great in the man management department. But I think it's also, uh, I mean, I think his tactics and his uh, game management, I think, is something to be questioned as well. Uh, the Monterey 3-0, uh, you know, loss, definitely. We could have made subs way quicker when we were just off yeah. of a three-day rest. We waited until I believe the 90th minute uh, to bring on Tito and uh, I think Larry, and it's just uh, yeah, it's very I think you know not even the first instance of that. It's just uh, you the, know, the semifinal, I mean, or the, the conference final last yeah. year. You know, same situation yeah. where you're drawing a game that needed a spark of something else, and you wait until the 82nd minute to bring on Tito, and at that point it's just like you're losing now. So. Yeah, you needed something, uh, you know, to change the game and not not the other team scoring more goals. That was something to, to be that catalyst. But right. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, you know, there's, I think, throughout his time, uh, you know, question marks. I think through any coach, of course, there's going to be ups and downs. But I think, uh, you know, the front office definitely noticed that, uh, you know, the pattern definitely was getting into a, a territory um, that's, you know, maybe it was just uh, something that they couldn't see a, a future in, uh, in changing it. But, uh, Frank yeah. DeBoer, if he did or did not mutually part ways, I mean, he probably was given the, uh, the choice of, uh, you know, staying or not maybe as well. Uh, and so maybe that was the mutual parting of ways because he does see that, you know, you know, PT Martinez, Ezekiel Barco, maybe aren't exactly uh, the most happy with him. And also Slash, uh, you know, at least in the MLS's back tournament, weren't giving the requisite performances for the shop window that they inevitably are going to be in because at the end of the day, you know, LA United is a business. And so maybe Arthur Blank, that conversation that Darren Eels had with him before uh, they came back, um, maybe it's... You know, it was a conversation of, okay, are we really, uh, you know, getting into the territory of maybe losing some fans because, you know, the way we're playing and, you know, not only the showing in MLS's back tournament is affecting our business. So, you know, it very well could have been some of those, uh, you know, all of these factors, really. And, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, 
Fractobor is gone, and I think some fans mm -hmm. are happy, some fans are shocked, uh, and you know it's one of those things where uh, any sort of any sort of uh, coaching move is going to be divisive. I mean, especially one that uh, was kind of riddled with all of these, um, you know, people that were Fractobor in or Fractobor out. So yeah, it's uh, at the end of the day, Debor is gone and uh you know it's i think through the, his time there were very uh i think you know quotes of kind of things that were a little perplexing as well i mean that dutch speak <laughs> kind of uh rubs some people the wrong way not everybody maybe understands uh exactly what he means even though he is i, I don't even know how many languages i think he was like you know six languages or whatnot but you know something gets lost in the translation inevitably uh, but, uh, for me, I think some, something that I think rubbed a lot of people the wrong way was, uh, you know, that, that conversation that he had to the Guardian about, um, you know, the women's pay. And it's something that, uh, I don't know if that has something to do with, uh, you know, the, you know, the mutually parting aways. Maybe not, but I think they knew that... You know, maybe what he says kind of can get the uh, the team in trouble sometimes, and maybe that also maybe was a factor. But uh, yeah, what what do you guys think in terms of ultimately what were the things? Was it everything? Was it you know specifically specifically anything? I mean, I think it was a collection of a whole host of things. The team was not improving; um, they were getting worse as far as the style goes. You had very apparent issues within the dressing room and the playing staff in terms of their views towards the manager and on the whole you, you weren't performing at the level or playing the type of football that you you know that your fans had come to expect so i think it was the whole package and honestly if you're DeBoer as well i mean if you look at how the team was playing and how the dressing room was i mean i probably would say yeah i'm probably not going to get my vision to happen here because the amount of time it would take and the amount of change i need is made more difficult by the league that you that you participate in so i mean i probably think he saw the writing on the wall as well and thought you know i've got two trophies if this goes on much longer i can ruin what little i've built back over my reputation here so it's just like you go out now in a mutual parting of ways he won two trophies maybe that can get him a job in europe somewhere right uh, and before we go to your mark, I mean, yeah, a lot of people were saying, yeah, there were warning signs at Crystal Palace, warning signs signs at Inter Milan, but uh, if you look at those IX teams, I mean, they definitely were an attractive uh, attacking team. I think it's a they're also better than everyone else in the league, right? And I think that's the right. difference is that league is a, a lot different than and you know an MLS, and you also have where you know he was part of the academy, uh, he was part of the youth. Uh, you know, coaching on that side before he became their their, their manager. He had a pretty good team. Yeah, and that was, you know, he brought in some uh, some guys that uh, you know are a big part of the world stage now, and like Luis Suarez, and um, you know, so that type of uh, thing, you know, you have kind of guys that you brought up versus guys that are big names, that big egos. Um, you know, he mm -hmm. kind of dealt with that maybe a little bit, not huge ego, but uh, in, you know, Saha at Crystal Palace, um, even though he wasn't able to really play him, but it's just one of those things where, um, you know, maybe he just wasn't able to get that man management side of it when he doesn't know these players in and out from, uh, you know, bringing them up. So anyway, Mark. 
Yeah, I think ultimately it's probably the football that did him in. I mean, certainly that stretch uh, within MLS's back and then going back to the Cool America game. Like, that's uh, the way his tenure ended is eerily similar to the Crystal Palace tenure, which, like, it began and ended. You know what I mean? But, like, it's the same thing. No wins, no goals. Um, I thought it was also interesting that one of the things that came out of the Crystal Palace situation was uh, the players would get annoyed with them for doing certain things like participating in training. And so, like, I don't know if maybe Frank DeBoer is just one of those guys that maybe isn't great at reading the room. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's the football, you know. And you also said, you said something, AJ, that got me thinking about uh, Atlanta United being run as a business. I mean, like, I don't, from what I could tell, I don't think the crowds in 2019 quite hit the same heights as 2018. And so I don't know if that had to do with uh, the team not being as fun to watch or what. But... Uh, at the end of the day, like Atlanta United is making this decision almost 11 months removed from uh, the team winning the Open Cup. So obviously, like, you know, while the board deserves credit for managing uh, the team to that trophy, it obviously wasn't enough to keep him in the job. It didn't give him enough of the benefit of the doubt. So I think um, it's probably the, the football that would did him in ultimately. Yeah. Well, yeah, and we must thank Frank DeBoer for uh, those two trophies, U.S. Open Cup and Campionas Cup. I mean, yeah, much respect to him for leading us uh, to those wins because that's, a you know, uh, not only uh, establishes more Atlanta United as, uh, you know, the super club that we want to be in MLS, but also, uh, you know, around the world in, uh, you know, those eyeballs. Like, the more that we fill our trophy cabinet, the better... Uh, you know everything gets right so uh it's one of those we appreciate what frank DeBoer has done we wish him well uh and it's one of those things where uh you know some some are sad uh some are happy but you know it's uh you know time to move on from frank DeBoer. so uh you know some interesting uh rumors slash kind of listicles have come about in the wake of uh, Frank DeBoer leaving. And uh, first up is an LA United head coach rumor from Christian Dyer, who uh, said uh, in a tweet, an interesting name to keep an eye on for LA United coaching vacancy is Tim Cahill. Hearing the former Red Bull New York midfielder is interested in the job and could be in line for an interview with the MLS club. Former team teammate Thierry Henry at Montreal now uh tim cahill yeah very interesting the uh yeah australian the uh former everton player i mean a guy that's uh yeah pretty pretty decent career but has not coached anywhere what do you guys think of the the rumor Danner. no experience so absolutely not <laughs> yeah it's one of those things where he's had a decent career but i don't think it's the kind of career that like commands respect automatically necessarily uh at least among you know current players so yeah you know if we if they were to consider him he'd have to have more experience so it's a no for me yeah i mean uh yeah someone that's uh plays for red bull or played for red bulls as well i mean i don't know how well that would be taken as uh la united fans in that sense too as many think that there are our uh you know biggest rival so it would be interesting but yeah it's uh I think ultimately, if he wows his interview, maybe, and somehow, I mean, maybe there is, like, better consideration, but I think right now, yeah, 
we need somebody experienced. We need to know kind of, uh, you know, what they stand for, what type of, uh, you know, man management that they have, because that's part of like what's really, really important in this next hire. But uh, so according to an MLSsoccer.com listicle, uh, they pretty much floated a bunch of names that we, uh, you know, could be interested in. Uh, some of them being uh, Javier Aguirre, who's uh, a former Mexico manager. Uh, he's, I think, pretty uh, known as a guy that uh, in La Liga as that saving you from relegation type of manager that you hire. Uh, kind of when someone gets let go and then, you know, he basically tries to do a rescue job. Um, but apparently a pretty good man manager and um, yeah, at 61 years old. I mean, up there, maybe not someone that's like long-term possibly, uh, you know, as like maybe a four or five year job, but you know, a couple of years could be interesting. Renato Gaucho, uh, they say it's maybe an out, outside of the box pick, uh, but uh, yeah, he's still under contract at Grêmio in Brazil. And uh, yeah, he's also never managed outside of Brazil, but uh you know, it's someone that uh, could be worth hitting up uh, as he's a pretty easygoing guy and, uh, you know, is pretty personable with a squad and he is pretty meticulous in his tactics. Uh, another one in Gabriel Heinze. He's uh, a guy that formerly of Velez Sarsfield, uh, of course, uh, used to manage or didn't manage <laughs> Yamil Assad there. Uh, he always, I guess, didn't play him, sent him out, uh, sent him to us. But, uh, you know, it could be someone that we look to as he's a guy that has a pretty attractive attacking style. A, uh, you know, part of that Marcelo Bielsa tree. Uh, so, you know, definitely, I think someone that has uh, some, some ability in, uh, you know, at least the, the tactics part of it. Uh, Patrick Vieira, of course, formerly of NYCFC and now of Nice in France. Uh, of course, also, you know, an Arsenal legend, as uh, <laughs> I uh, I know and I love. But, uh, yeah, someone that probably is implausible because, you know, he took them to Nice to fifth in the uh, Ligue 1. So it's one of those things, why would he come? Why would he come back to MLS? He's probably looking towards uh, a bigger job in Europe. Uh, you also have Altor Karanka. Uh, he's a former Colorado Rapids defender. Uh, yeah, he went with uh, the he went with Nottingham Forest recently, and uh, it was an 18 18 month spell that didn't go exactly as well as plans. Um, and He's cut his managerial, managerial teeth under uh, Jose Mourinho, which uh, might kind of say say it all there. Pat Noonan, uh, he's uh, an MLS, or he's an assistant. He uh, is a Bruce Arena disciple. Uh, he kind of helped Jim Curtin mold Philadelphia into uh, the uh, the current thing that they are. Ante Razov, uh, he's Bob Bradley's right-hand man at LAFC. I'll kind of go through these a little bit quicker now. But Ezra Hendrickson, uh, he's another MLS assistant. He, uh, yeah, he's paid his dues at Seattle Sounders as an assistant. 
Um, we have Mauricio Pasacino, which uh, may be the most implausible on this list, but maybe the most famous and most well-known. Of course, the former Tottenham manager. Uh, yeah, I think he's probably not on the list not on this list because of the high profile jobs that he could be getting in Europe uh, and Dome Tarant who is a former NYCFC uh, manager and also yeah I mean I think he led them to their uh, their Eastern Conference win and so he's a guy that uh, you know I think attractive playing style maybe a little crazy uh, you know in terms of uh, actual coaching style and uh, a little bit prickly but uh, is a guy that you know would match a good bit of what uh, you know what we like to play. But there are also rumors uh, that he uh, you know could be looking at Flamengo in Brazil. So you know all these lists uh, and all these names so far. Anybody attract you from these names that uh, have been floated, Tanner? I think for me, uh, in terms of something that kind of makes is a, is a little bit of a risk, but I think. Well, first off, take every single assistant coach for me personally and pack them off the list because I don't think after you saw what happened with Frank DeBoer, I don't think giving someone their first chance in management is a great idea in my opinion. Um, I'd rather go with someone who has at least had that job and fits a little bit of the profile. But yeah, I, I like Gabriel Heinze. I think anyone who is a Bielzeit or whatever you want to call them who follows Marcelo Bielza and his ideas um, really good. I think he had a decent time at Velez in terms of how he played. He seems to fit a little bit of the profile um, of the football that Atlanta would want to see. Um, but also there has been rumors of potential interest um, abroad in Europe. And he left his position as manager, by the way, under his own volition. I think that he kind of saw that he had taken things as far as he probably could there. So it wasn't as if he was forced out from my understanding of things. Um, I think he's the type of guy that he's young enough to where if he comes in and he does well and he succeeds, then he'd probably be a two, three year guy and then move on and get a job in Europe himself. And yes, obviously that's frustrating, but it still is kind of your model with players and it potentially could be with coaches as well. So for me, that's who sticks out. Yeah. Mark. I like the Heinz shout a lot of one points to that as well. The fact that he played uh, kind of when we were growing up, you know, and he uh, he'll have that cachet with the players as well. And I think, uh, you know, he can talk about, you know, standing in the locker rooms of Real Madrid and Manchester United. Uh, and so, you know, he can like bring that personality with him. I think uh, Javier Guidi also makes a lot of sense. Um, I do think that would be absolutely a short term, a stopgap kind of a solution a year or two. But, um, you know, I think it makes sense probably maybe to get the best out of, like, this group. I think in particular with Bar Barco and Petey, I think the goal is to get, uh, you know, see what kind of fee you can command for Barco uh, and possibly Petey. I don't know, you know, if yeah. that can if that move can still happen for him. Um, so I think Aguirre also makes a lot of sense in that regard. Um, I agree that an assistant it, right now, I think uh, it's too tough of a job for somebody who's like who has no previous NGO experience. So he's not head coaching experience. So, um, but I think uh, maybe in a year or two, if Razov is still available, I mean, like you could, I think you could do worse than Bob Bradley's coaching tree. Like, see, like Jesse Marsh, for example. And I like Bob Bradley's, you know, general approach to players. I think that his tactics are valuable. He's shown over the years, and so. Um, That'd be interesting. Rather him that. than Bruce Arena. 
Anyone who's a Brewster Arena disciple can fuck off. I'm, I'm good on all that. Yeah. Or the uh, the assistant from Seattle, too. I think, you know, you think of Seattle's football. That's not what we want to replicate in Atlanta. And so, but, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, some interesting names overall. Uh, Heinz, will, Heinz will be a get, though, I think. Yeah. And so there's also, uh, I think, something here that's um, not only uh, – Black players for change in MLS have pointed out, but uh, and they did change that list on MLSsoccer.com to reflect maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, choices within the black community of someone that could be a, a head coach possibility. But uh, yeah, that uh, you know that uh, Charlie Davies mentioned on the Extra Time podcast that some big name former league players uh, and stars, including Kobe Jones. Uh, Tony Sane, Jeff Cunningham, Demarcus Beasley, Tim Howard, uh, you know, deserve some consideration. Um, but that is the issue: is that there is something of you know we need experience in this job, but that's the difficulty: is they haven't been given those opportunities to begin with. Uh, and frankly, I mean, yeah. uh, not only black people, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, Asian people here that. Uh, haven't been given a chance at all. And that's something that, you know, uh, is systemic as well. And that's uh, very annoying. And I would like to see change as well. But, uh, you know, it's something that's, um, that's what's tough here is they have a big decision on their hands. You want experience. You want somebody that's, uh, you know, you have at least a little bit of a track record. But maybe you can go in that kind of Mikel Arteta mold where you grab an assistant that has... Uh, at least that leadership quality you you see uh, at least previously that you know they were fit for a managerial job so you know there's there's some people that maybe could surprise us and maybe yeah completely not even on this list and that'd be great uh, but I think it's one of those things where uh, a lot of people are saying oh uh, it has to be a Latino manager because you have a very Latino locker room you have uh, seven or eight Latin players, uh, and so you know he has to be able to understand the culture and whatnot. But uh, well, I mean, one big example that you can already look at is Bob Bradley with LAFC. That's you know it ne- doesn't isn't necessarily the case always. You just need to bring in someone that understands everybody's culture, can work with everybody, can communicate with them, and get his ideas through to them, and they can actually replicate what he wants on the pitch i think that's the most important do you guys have a, a strong preference towards one or the other in terms of has to be a latin well, latin coach I, I don't think it has to be a latin coach i mean i think the biggest thing for, for this is you have to look at who fits and their qualifications which is why again i'm saying lanyon is a big enough job in mls that unless you're an assistant that's won a lot which is what Mikel arteta did at manchester city Unless you've won a lot and shown that you are important to this team and you've been successful as an assistant, then you're not getting the job. And if you have no coaching experience at all, which is a lot of the most recent players you mentioned, it's like they deserve a chance to be managers. Don't get me wrong, but they have to be coaches as well first. And that's what Thierry Henry did. Thierry Henry was a coach and then an assistant coach before he got his first job. So it's really important to have coaching experience because it's not the same as being a player. And so many former players have spoken about if you go into management and you haven't 
have that experience yet, you, you aren't going to be able to effectively do or effectively, you know, show the potential you have as a coach. And as much as I want those people to be given chances, I want them to not only be given chances, but put in positions to succeed because that's the most important thing. And I think that right now, putting anyone in charge of this group of players who I think this is a big ego team, all things considered, you have to have a reputation that they could, they have to respect you and you have to have them enjoying playing soccer. Tata Martino had this team enjoying playing the game. If the team enjoys going out and playing, then you're going to be fine. And that does not require you to come from a specific part of the world because that part doesn't need a language. If you can put them in a system where they're playing and enjoying it and winning, then it does not matter what language you speak as your first language. Yeah. Mark? Yeah, I mean, and we, you know, going back to Tata, like, yes, Tata was an excellent man manager, but he also had the tactics. Like, don't get it twisted. You know what I mean? Like, the way he set up the team in 2017 took the league by storm, and then he changed ahead of the 2018 season, and he changed ahead of the 2018 postseason. So it's not like Tata also knew what he was doing in that regard. There are a lot of coaches from Latin America who would not be able to do this job. Not to the degree that Tata did it. You know what I mean? Like, even like, let's say, throw out a big name like Jorge Sampaoli. Like, I, I don't know how that would go. You know, like, he's a big name. I think he's a BL site. But, uh, you know, like, in theory, you know, if you were to just say, okay, yeah, it'll work because he's Latin American. Um, sure. But, like, that's not the case. You know, like, that's, there's a lot of things to consider. And so um, I think that there are reasons why you might look uh from that region but you know that's still it's still a huge coaching pool regardless and i think that the most important thing is the communication with the players and the style and you know like i think i think that's what they have to get right this time around regardless of where this manager comes from i say all, we, we both say all of that and gabriel hines is still our first deputy in south america so it's just like but he fits right. And that's the whole thing. If you fit, that's the most important thing is can't we'll, we'll do exactly. you fit with the club. And I don't think it really matters where it comes from. If you feel that they have a good fit, then that's what you go with. Right. And I like Heinz. I, I wonder if he has that uh, ability to maybe coach the, the big egos that we have uh, within the locker room. And, you know, he's spent some time with some pretty big egos. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see. But um, yeah. So uh, moving on from that into some transfer rumors. According to Toto Fichajes, uh, LA United are one of several teams interested in defensive midfielder Sebastian Perez from Boca Juniors. He, uh, yeah, he's only played 19 games uh, since 2016 when he joined them from Atletico Nacional. But uh, yeah, you know, before that, he was winning a lot of trophies with Nacional. But it is one of those things where he has been injured. He's been loaned out uh, to Pachuca, to Ecuadorian club Barcelona SC. And so, you know, he's one of those players, though, uh, that's not only had a little bit of experience uh, with Arsenal, but had uh, always been kind of looked at by some of the biggest clubs in, like, Juve. Uh, And so it's one of those where, uh, yeah, he went on trial with Arsenal. Uh, He played a preseason match. But unfortunately, because of, uh, you know, visas and whatnot, because he hadn't played enough uh, Colombian national games, he wasn't able to be, you know, uh, picked through. And so, you know, is this a type of guy that you guys want to see? He's a defensive midfielder, apparently, uh, you know, can pick out a pass, go to the tackle, maybe uh, gets, uh, maybe fouls a little too much, but 
you know, is this someone that uh, you would like to be, uh, you know, seen being brought through to LA United? Tanner. I mean, I think it depends on the price. Everything at this point depends on price. Yeah. Um, if his injury has a bad, I mean, he does have a bad injury history. That cannot be argued. Um, you know, you can't really get much worse in that department. I think you need bodies in that department, but again, it just depends on, on cost. And that seems to be, you know, the big question right now is, you know, how much can Atlanta afford to spend, especially with some of the other transfer rumors that I imagine we'll speak about. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, apparently Boca juniors have apparently been known to drive up the prices for their players. Uh, but he's someone that hasn't played a whole lot. 16 games since 2016 for uh, for Boca Juniors. So it's, you know, can they really drive up that price? Hope not. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I mean, like, I think the profile of player makes sense. I'm glad that the club is looking at players in that specific position. We definitely need holding midfielders. But is he the one? You know, I mean, like, this definitely is, I think, along the lines of uh, how the club goes about identifying players uh particularly latin america but uh so yeah he hasn't played a lot recently so yeah it would just it would depend it would depend on the price same thing as what tanner said right and uh another defensive midfielder uh rumor in jonathan gonzalez of uh monterey of course uh yeah we played monterey in the champions league last season but uh yeah you know, famously a guy that uh, switched from the United States to Mexico for his national team. So probably gets a, a good bit of hate from uh, the U.S. men's national team fans. But uh, a guy that uh, is fairly good on the ball, uh, but maybe isn't that kind of out-and-out defensive midfielder, but uh, is very strong in the tackle, is a guy that uh, likes to get stuck in. But uh, if he sits maybe alone as that uh, number six maybe not the most ideal but uh you know i think someone that can do a little bit of what nagby does in terms of uh you know keeping it simple bringing the ball forward and uh keeping possession and uh you know is what we need really i think sorely i think you saw that in the mls's back tournament is that someone uh now that interests you and you know instead of um you know instead of the other player that we just talked about? I mean, I think first off the bat, he's better than any midfielder Atlanta to have right now, I think, probably. Um, but another thing is his cost, because, you know, he cost Monterey a decent chunk of change, and I believe he makes a decent chunk of change at Monterey. And Mark, you're kind of, you know, you watch more Monterey than we do, so I'm curious, you know, as far as to how, what he's looked like when you've watched them and how he fits in and why they would be willing to part with someone who you think would be a pretty valuable asset. Yeah, and so I was uh, Asian. I actually had this conversation. I um, I can't say I looked at him specifically when I watched Monterey play, but he was in during the uh, eighteen nineteen season. He was definitely more of a regular, um, and he played most of their games. And I think, especially for a midfielder um, who you know one who was supposed to sit at the base of midfield and get on the ball, you know, you like to see that uh, he was selected regularly. Uh, but he wasn't select. He hasn't been selected regularly under the new manager. So. I'm not really sure what that was about. Um, I one reason why I do like also is that he's still pretty young. He's only 21. Oh, I'd have the heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, like, I actually, it, it is an intriguing transfer. I am curious to see if Monterey. I mean, like, they let go. Uh, I feel like they. Oh, they let go um, to Inter Miami. I can't remember his name now. Oh, Sorry. yeah. Uh, 
Pizarro. Pizarro. Yeah, right. And so it might be a bit of a thing because Monterey has been struggling since that uh, uh, Champions League triumph. And so it might be a kind of a thing where they're willing to let a couple of players go, you know, maybe raise some funds, maybe just uh, rebuild, reload the team a little bit. I don't know. So, yeah. uh, but I mean, I'm intrigued. I know I'd have him. I definitely have him. Yeah, he seems like he's, uh, you know, he fits the bill of what we're currently lacking in midfield. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of people that are like, why aren't we bringing in a forward? Why aren't we? Well, I mean, yeah, we just brought in an Eric Joseph Lopez. will come back. Yeah, and Joseph yeah, will come and Joseph's back. coming back. But uh, and it's one of those things where, um, you know, are they looking towards 2021 as really more of uh, the season that they're going to take seriously, seriously? Uh, it, it looks increasingly maybe so as well. So, you know, if you spend top dollar on you know someone that's uh just gonna sit on the bench uh for you know jose martinez then it's not really maybe something that um you know is the most prudent thing to do but midfield absolutely has been looking like we've been you know not only shambles but something that is a glaring weakness so far and uh yeah honestly if you could get both it wouldn't even be that bad yeah if you get both right. and then, you know, maybe move some other players on. Uh, because, yeah, you look at the current crop. You look at Jeff Lorenowitz. You look at Mo Adams. You look at uh, Matthias Hosetu, uh, Emerson Heinemann, Eric Rometty. I mean, Larry, 36 years old. Mo Adams looked out of his element uh, a good bit in MLS's back. Uh, Emerson Heinemann, you know, uh, maybe not the kind of out-and-out kind of Nagby replacement that uh, many want him to be. And, uh, you know, Eric Rometty uh, wasn't really chosen at times uh, by Frank DeBoer, whether through form or uh, because of maybe personal choice, who knows. But, uh, yeah, you, you largely have a kind of kind of imbalanced crop there that, uh, you know, we really could really reinforce. And these look like a couple of guys that, uh, while, you know, maybe inexperienced slash uh, not playing a ton, I mean, maybe have the out-and-out tools that... Uh, you know, given that opportunity, but there is. That I mean, other Jonathan Gonzalez is a full Mexican international yeah. who has played numerous games for the Mexican international team at his age already. Yeah. Would you rather have him or any of the other people we've just previously mentioned? Yeah. I mean, let's be realistic here. He is. He would be a massive addition, and he's young and has potential resale value. He's the type of player that if he comes here and has two, three good years, he's moving to Europe, and you can sell him on for a fee. Right. Like he's quality. So. I mean, he still has room to grow, don't get me wrong, but I mean, I think it's a no-brainer if you can figure out how to get him on the team. That is a very marketable asset and a very quality-playing asset. Right, and not only that that shop window uh, for Europe, maybe, but also for, uh, yeah, the Mexican Federation because, yeah, Tato Martino is that head coach. There is, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more of a, a you know, kind of shop window that he'll be looking at constantly at LA United. And so uh, it's even better if, uh, you know, he's at a, his former club. So, you know, it could be uh, where he gets even more chances that he kind of currently has been lacking with the uh, the Mexican national team. But uh, moving on from that uh, into Jurgen Dam, he spoke with The Guardian and he talked about uh, why... You know his uh, his career has maybe stalled in uh, the face of you know kind of the the kind of uh, louding that he's uh, received in being the second fastest player in the world before he joined Tigris, and uh, yeah, 
he kind of named a, a few things as uh, as being kind of uh, factors. Um, you know, not only the you know the criticisms of his crossing, which he's famously addressed on his TikToks, but uh, also, I mean, you know, that some of uh, his crossing, while they may not land perfectly on, uh, you know. Andres Gignac's head, it's one of those things where, you know, someone maybe gets a rebound, they eventually score. He's saying that, you know, he may not get the, uh, you know, the actual assist numbers that maybe he feels like um, he might deserve. And he says that, quote, hopefully Joseph Martinez makes me the league's assist leader so the fans can get off my back, which uh, I think is a hilarious, uh, <laughs> hilarious quote. But uh, yeah, it shows that he's ambitious and he wants to get back to his former self or what he feels like is his former self, uh, his best self. Uh, but he also mentioned that uh, you know there is kind of a thing in Mexico that if you leave on a free, it's really frowned upon. Uh, and so it's something that, yeah, now obviously he has left on a free, but uh, you know it is something that maybe was a hindrance of why he maybe wasn't, uh, he was maybe a little reluctant to leave Tigris, uh, you know, even though he wasn't playing a whole lot. There's that apprehension that, you know, the whole of Mexico will hate you, essentially, as he is a, a Mexican national or international. But, uh, yeah, very interesting indeed. Do you guys have any quick thoughts on that? He's funny. I'm just ready to see him play and give him a chance and see what he can do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like his. Uh, I like how he approaches the adversity. Like in in the interviews, you know, he's like lighthearted with it. So um, I like that he can poke fun of himself a little bit. But yeah, so I hope he can uh, do it on the field. Yeah. Uh, so moving on from that, Fernando Mesa, he uh, he talked uh, with some uh, yeah some sources or some uh, some media in Argentina and uh, in Chile, and he talked about. Uh, saying, I would like to return to Colo Colo. It is a team where I grew up and I really enjoyed it. Uh, now, some people might think that's a little controversial. Maybe that, oh, he wants to go back to Colo Colo already. But uh, it seems like more that it was a question that, you know, would he ever return to Colo Colo, a team that he used to play for? And, uh, you know, I think there's not too much smoke there, even though it may seem like, yeah, okay, you know, a player that uh, maybe didn't play his best in the MLS's back tournaments, maybe disgruntled and already wants to go back. Even, you know, it's only been uh, seven months since he just got here. But, uh, yeah, definitely someone that I think, you know, he's said when he got here, he was he wanted to learn English. I think he's here for the long haul. Uh, and this is just like, you know, talk when he, if he, uh, you know, leaves MLS in, uh, you know, in a couple of years or a few years, but uh, anyway, so moving on from that, Atlanta uh, United two they fell three nil to the Charleston Battery on Friday. They uh, yeah they gave debuts to Amadou Mackie Jop and Abalaye Jop as well, not related, but uh, and yeah it's a uh, you know unfortunate obviously, but uh, I think it was interesting though because that's where we saw. Uh, Stephen Glass as, uh, you know, sitting kind of in the stands and, uh, yeah, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't on the bench. He, it was, that's where, you know, we saw that, uh, that telltale sign maybe that, uh, he might've been the, uh, interim head coach, but anyway, so that does it for the news and a little bit of housekeeping is that Tanner, 
tonight and also uh, on Thursdays, Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, we have a Twitch stream, twitch.tv slash ACLUTDFANTV. Join us there for some FIFA 20 because it's always a lot of fun. They're in the Prem. Uh, he's playing as LA United in the Prem, and yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a blast. I guess He's technically scoring. not tonight because this will come out on a Wednesday. So. Yeah, technically Tuesdays not and Thursdays. But yeah, Tuesdays <laughs> and Thursdays. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun, so join us there. But anyway, that gets us to the mailbag. And you guys send in these uh, questions through IG story. Please continue to do so. We might answer your question in the future. First question comes from Corey Cagle. Are you guys feeling good about everything going on? We'll go with uh, you, Mark, first. Yes, and I want to be uh, careful about how I talk about this because at the end of the day, like Frank DeBoer, uh, you know, he lost his job. Like you know, that, ha- he is a person that has to be considered. But um, I am satisfied that the club took the decision when they did. Um, I think it shows that they are serious about delivering on what they promised to the fans. And at the end of the day, Frank DeBoer just it got to a point where he wasn't doing it and it didn't look like the team was working towards it. And so I think they made the right decision. I also think that Bocanegra and Eels could have just let Frank DeBoer stay in place, let him be the fall guy. You know, he's already taking a lot of heat. Now they put the heat on themselves a little bit. And so I think it does show uh, some ambition from the club. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with him. I mean, yeah, things aren't great, but you know, they could be worse. This this whole year is just weird, and so I'm not really too fussed one way or the other with with how things are going. Um, as far like, well, it's not necessarily obviously things weren't going well under board, and I'm glad he's gone. To be honest, I never really was a fan of his even before he was hired, um, and I think he was given ample time to make improvements, and those improvements clearly weren't happening. Um, but I'm glad the club made the decision when they did, and I, you know, now it's just trusting in them to get the decision right and like mark said they brought some pressure on themselves and you know they have to to nail this next hire and 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 as well you know sign more players which which are being rumored because the team clearly needs strengthening as well so you know the the onus is in the front office now but we'll see what happens the rest of this year but the idea is to hopefully be back and challenging really and it should be in 2021 definitely definitely uh yeah i mean quickly for me i think uh what's unsettling is uh you know our recent downturn in form and also uh the way we looked i think i think also in uh you know the locker room it seems definitely pretty unsettled for a good number of those players uh so i think you know if we can bring in you know someone this season obviously that would uh, i think calm things down a lot quicker but in the interim having steven glass who apparently is pretty um you know well regarded uh around the you know the whole uh, club seems like someone that uh, can you know help right the ship in terms of uh, at least the feeling, the attitude, uh, which I think is very very important. But yeah, I mean Frank DeBoer definitely troubled in his time here. Uh, I was very much I think on the fence if uh, he should have stayed or not. So yeah, definitely I think I applaud that uh, the front office and uh, yeah maybe the owner to a degree is maybe you know taking that responsibility. And, uh, and making sure that, you know, the fans at the ult- ultimately at the end of the day, you know, maybe being put first, which uh, I think is uh, very awesome. But uh, next question comes from uh, Milko Baldwin. Can Atlanta bring Pochettino? Mark. No. I mean, like, Pochettino's next job is going to be one of the biggest jobs in Europe. Yeah, he has... A very good reputation for a good reason um you know he did well with tottenham other than winning actual trophies but 
uh, I know, like, yeah, it doesn't hurt to ask, but it really, there's no way he takes an MLS job at the moment. Yep. Tanner. I agree. No, no chance. I mean, he was linked to the Manchester United job, the Bayern Munich job, the Juventus job. He's not taking a job in MLS. It's just, yeah. Uh, it's either, you know, going to be a, uh, a team that uh, is really primed to win trophies uh, or, you know, one of the biggest clubs in uh, England, something. It's going to be one of those uh, those type of clubs where, um, you know, he feels like he's being challenged and also that, uh, you know, he kind of has the most clout if he does win some uh, some trophies. So MLS might be a step down. It also might be a pretty large risk. If he doesn't do well somehow, then uh, that would be, yeah, a massive, uh, massive kind of black mark on his uh, on his resume. So next question comes from Keaton Thomas 61. Do you think that we'll find our new head coach before the year is out? Who is your pick to lead us? Yeah, we kind of talked about it earlier who our pick was, but uh, yeah, Do, will we find our new head coach before the year is over? Mark. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Stephen Glass actually manages some games in 2020. Uh, we still don't know what the rest of the 2020 schedule will look like, but like I said, I think the front office is going to take their time in terms of bringing in the right guy and you know if it is a case of they really just want uh that person to be in place at the beginning of the 2021 season then that might not be the worst idea either so um it, i think it's a possibility that that it plays out that way there if they mean 2020 by the year then i think that the, the manager will be hired before the end of the calendar year if they think that they're going to manage the season, I think Stephen Glass will manage the rest of the games for laying out of the season. Unless you have a big name or, or one of these names wants to come in right now. If they want to come in right now, then yeah. Like if you can get Gabriel Hines in the door before things get going, then that's what you do. If that's who you decide on. But I think the club is going to do its due diligence this time and really try and figure out who's the best fit and sound out as many people as possible. So I think by the end of the calendar year, yes. But by the end of the regular season, I don't yeah, know. I think Mark uh, made a great point. You know, when Frank DeBoer was hired, it seemed like that maybe we lacked uh, the actual time to actually find, you know, the absolute proper fit. And so, you know, now you kind of have, uh, what, five months, a full five months to maybe make that versus, you know, less than a month. I think, uh, yeah, you, uh, you definitely can, you know, have a little bit more confidence that we'll make the right, uh, you know, appointment. But... Uh, next question comes from Sam Holman 7 What kind of style formation do you think will play with Glass as the interim head coach? Mark. Uh, uh, Tanner, keep your heart rate down. I think we'll see the 4-3-3. Um, I think it's the easiest thing to go to, 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. Um, obviously, like, it's not, it's not going to be perfect with some players here or there, but uh, just as a formation that everyone's familiar with and comfortable with, and probably to get the best out of the uh, out of PD and Barco in particular, I think probably the four three three. There. I mean, I don't really know what formation he's going to play. To be perfectly honest with you, I think that the style is more important than the formation. The only thing that I will say is that Elena needs to play with three central midfielders pretty much at all times. I, I don't see a way that they play with just a two. I mean, a four-two-three-one might work. I, I don't know. I and mean, frankly, like, like I said, I don't really care what formation they play as long as it's just better than what we've seen. And he's putting players in positions where they can show their 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 qualities as opposed to what the board was doing, which was highlighting all the negatives in their games. Yeah. Uh... 
you know, him being a winger, I hope that he uh, definitely is more attacking and definitely, I think, wants to be more on the front foot. So, you know, hopefully that is the case. I don't think we saw really, I think, his true kind of, uh, you know, coaching prowess at LA United 2 uh, in terms of, you know, what type of style, what type of formation that he actually likes to play because he uh, was, you know, developing these players to have them get ready for the first team. So, um, it really it remains to be seen what type of uh, style that we're going to see. Uh, so, last question comes from Joe3LHP. You think we really need a Latin coach since we get in Dam Lopez? Yeah, we kind of talked about it earlier, but uh, yeah, Mark. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a Latin coach necessarily. Like I said, I think that they're a specific people that we like maybe with uh, certain mentors that we like that's uh you know certainly from south america but at the end of the day like it's mainly about the style and the man management Dinner. i agree with mark you know as long as the, the 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 style of play fits with what the club wants to do and the personality seems that they can manage the dressing room then you go with who that is regardless of where they're from um but that being said i mean my, my personal pick out of what we've seen so far is from south america so you know that seems to, to, to work but it by no means is an end-all be-all yeah i echo those sentiments it's just one of those things where um I, it's not too important much like uh you know uh, a bob bradley at lafc it's just something that if he understands the culture can get the tactics and style the way that uh you know the fans can enjoy it and the front office likes to see it as well then uh you know it doesn't matter too much where he comes from to me and to us clearly so anyway that does it for the mailbag and almost the entire show except for the question of the day and the question of the day is, who do you want as a realistic hire for LA United's next head coach? Get in the comments. Let us know who you want. But that's the show. And for Mark, for Tanner, I'm AJ. And remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already. Share this episode and leave us a review and rating so we can pop up higher in your rankings. And for Tanner and Mark, I'm AJ. Thanks so much for listening. LA!